When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today's episode of the Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors. You know, winter's full swing, people. It's full swing. It's a little chilly out there, in case you haven't noticed. And if you've noticed that you're feeling the shiveries inside your house, well, you know what you need to do. you got to holler at your local Pella, Omaha, and Lincoln experts. And... Talk to them about taking a closer look at your windows. You can save energy and stay warm with windows from Pella that are properly installed the patented Pella way by pros using window and doors with the highest energy efficiency ratings in the industry from Energy Star. Check them out online, PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. And the Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by my pals at Runza. Two words for you. Temperature Tuesdays. Yes, Temperature Tuesdays at Runza are in full swing. Every Tuesday in January and February in Runza land, the temperature at 6 a.m., which is you know, single digits sometimes, is the price you'll pay for an original Runza sandwich when you purchase a medium fry and a medium drink. You've got to take advantage of this awesome deal. This should be like a Tuesday tradition for you guys right now. Get to Runza and take part in Temperature Tuesdays. And while you're there, tell them your pal Nick Baugh sent you. Okay, it is uh, it's it's Sunday, January seventeenth, and obviously we got a lot of things to uh, to discuss. My my schedule's been absolutely just crazy right now. I was in uh, I, I'm this is bizarre. I'm in Charlotte right now. I was supposed to do St. John's and UConn from Charlotte from the studio, but then that game got moved to Big Fox because Howard and Notre Dame got. Uh, postponed because of COVID or canceled because of COVID. So the the assignments changed. And now, so uh, all you need to know is I'm in Charlotte and I don't even have a game and I got to fly back. But I was in Indianapolis uh, yesterday. And I, you know, with the, yeah, everybody listening in, in the, in the Midwest knows that a huge blizzard hit, uh, hit, you know, the Omaha, Lincoln, uh, you know, Iowa area at the end of uh at the end of last week and to to beat the the blizzard to make sure I got to Indianapolis I, I rented a car and I drove nine and a half hours so it's just been uh to make sure I could do the game so it's been it's been it's been crazy man it's it's been absolutely crazy and obviously that Butler Creighton game I, I'll give my quick thoughts on that before I set up the pod here uh you know obviously it's a really frustrating frustrating loss for for Creighton I mean you, you know you're you the Blue Jays led by 12 with under eight minutes left and then fell apart pretty good the last uh, down the stretch in an overtime to a Butler team that has really struggled this year. They're young. Uh, you know, they don't have a, an all-conference type dude like a Kamar Baldwin. Um, so it, it was obviously frustrating. And Johnny Atawa had a couple of notes here I'm going to relay to you in his, his story. Final 17 possessions for Creighton. Uh, the Jays went one for 11 with six turnovers. Yikes. That's not closing, uh, closing it out. Certainly frustrating. And during that time, Aaron Thompson took over. Uh, first of all, he he's the one, I think, that had a lot to do with Creighton's offense going in the tank because he slid over 
and guarded Denzel Mahoney, who was red hot, and completely shut him down after he was on fire for the first you know, 10, 12 minutes of that second half. Butler couldn't figure out who they wanted to have guard Denzel Mahoney. If they put a bigger guy on him, Mahoney drug him away from the, to, to the arc. If they put a smaller guy in, Mahoney would beast him. But Aaron Thompson's one of the best defenders in the country. And finally, they said, you know what? Aaron Thompson may be 6'2", 6'1", but let's just put him on Denzel Mahoney. And it changed the game offensively for, for Creighton. And then offensively, Aaron Thompson was responsible. This is another good nugget from Niatawa. You know, Aaron Thompson was responsible for, for 21 of Butler's t- final 25 points. Scoring nine and assisting on 12. So, I mean, Aaron Thompson took over on both both ends of the floor. So, you know, what happened? Well, I think Creighton relaxed when they got up 12. I think they really let their, their intensity down and their focus down. Aaron Thompson then took over the game. He slid over and guarded Mahoney, and then he made every play offensively. But most importantly, you can't forget that Marcus Zagorowski wasn't playing. That's why I'm not ready to uh, freak out and lose my mind over this loss, right? Zegarowski was out for the second straight game with the with that hamstring issue, and I mean, listen, this guy—I've told you—he's not only is he the best player on the team, he's the MVP of the team. And you know, as he goes, Creighton goes. Listen, I get it. They they Creighton hung 97 on St. John's and were able to survive one game without him. But I almost wonder if that lulled everybody into a false sense of security. Like, hey, man, listen, you know, Zagorowski, they they're okay without him. No, they're not. Not if we're talking about like them, you know, achieving what I think everybody thinks that this team can achieve. I mean, this is the the preseason biggest player of the year. I mean, this guy is a, you know a first or second team or third team All American candidate. Uh, you know, so him being out makes a difference. You know, all the late-game packages are centered around Marcus Zagorowski with The Rock, and the domino effect of him not being out there is real. Like, Butler was able to sag off a Sharif Mitchell and Jet Canfield, plug up the lane, make it harder for Christian Bishop, make it harder for Damian Jefferson and Denzel Mahoney. They could really hone in on letting, not letting Ballot get, in, Ballot get any open looks. And, you know, it's it's there's a domino effect when your star isn't out there. So I just don't want to freak out over this game when – you know, Creighton loses on the road without Marcus Zagorowski, right? Now, the good thing was that, I, you know, I was at Hinkle Fieldhouse for the game, and, uh, you know, I watched Marcus Zagorowski work out before the game. I mean, he got a good sweat going. He was, he was going pretty hard, and he looked pretty good. So I, I don't think this is like a long-term thing that could sideline him for the season or anything like that. I think they're eventually going to get Marcus Zagorowski back. I would think it's going to be sooner rather than later. And, you know... I think Creighton will be fine once they get him back in the uh, into the equation. You know, still frustrating though to to lead by twelve with the under eight minutes left with a veteran experienced group like that and let it slip away and lose. So th- there you go with with my reaction to the Creighton game. Um, okay, before I really set up the pod here, uh, real quick, obviously Nebraska basketball is on pause right now because of COVID, and it sounds like they're going to be on pause for a while. Really scary update from. Nebraska hoops, and that's in their situation on Sunday afternoon. Uh, Twelve individuals in the men's basketball program for Nebraska have COVID. That includes seven players and Fred Hoiberg. I mean, damn, that's quite the outbreak. So, I mean, first of all, you hope everyone's okay, uh, especially Fred Hoiberg, who, uh, you know, his heart condition would certainly fall under a pre-existing condition that you hope he's doing okay. I mean, he was someone that I, I've been worried about him from the moment all this kind of broke. Like, 
he's got to be around the team. He's got to be, and I'm just like, man, you know, with his heart, that's a, that's a situation that now he's, you know, he looks good. He's healthy, he works out, but like, you know, I mean, he's got it. He's, he's got a bad ticker, you know, like it's, uh, it, it's, it's obviously would fall under something that could be problematic. So, you know, it sounds like he was symptomatic, but he's, he's improving. So I just, I, I want to take a second and wish coach Hoiberg well, and you just hope that situation gets cleared up because damn, you know, 12 individuals, seven players and coach Hoiberg all having COVID is a bad, bad deal. You know, again, it feels like we aren't going to be seeing Nebraska back on the court anytime soon. Uh, and then even when they come back, this is going to be tough uh, to bounce back from, you know. I mean, you're, you're not working out. You're not practicing. You're going to lose your conditioning. You're going to lose your timing and rhythm. So it's going to be a – this is going to be a tall task, really, really tall task for, uh, for Nebraska to kind of navigate all this for the final, oh, gosh, you know, eight weeks of the season here. I think we are eight weeks away from Selection Sunday. Okay, so uh, on the podcast today, I uh, wanted to fire up a three topics podcast for you. So it's just me and you and whatever my thoughts are. And I got some, I got some interesting ones today. I think there's some I hope I make you think, some I think you're going to roll your eyes at me, but I think we're going to, uh, hopefully I entertain you here for a little bit. And I'm heavy Nebraska football today. So, uh, so buckle up, here we go. Um, you know, the first topic, I was thinking about this on my long, I had a long drive obviously with my nine and a half hour drive. So I was, th- I was thinking it's interesting the similarities between Scott Frost and Fred Hoiberg on a variety of levels, right? Both had great playing careers, both hired at Nebraska at about the same time. Both guys have really deep Nebraska ties with their family. Both relatively young, hot coaches when they were hired. Both have enjoyed success early on in their coaching careers, Obviously, Hoiberg at Iowa State and then, you know, being with the Bulls and then Frost at Oregon and Central Florida. And then both guys, your reputations as coaches lie on the offensive side of the ball. And, I mean, both guys, when they were hired, were synonymous with, like, elite offensive coaching, right? So so it's just, it's interesting for the similarities like that to be there for a university's football and basketball coaches when they're hired, right? Like, almost... Not exactly the same, but very similar the way you describe both guys. Young, up-and-coming, Nebraska ties, offensive mind. Oh, so that's kind of interesting, right? And what's also interesting is, is kind of how eerily similar the parallels have been with how things have gone for both of them in their first few years, first few years of coaching at Nebraska. Because I, I was thinking about this. The parallels between Frost and Hoiberg in terms of how things have played out for them so far at Nebraska, it's kind of it's there's a lot there. So let me lay it out. I mean, first first thing that stands out is the broad point I just hinted at a second ago of hey, both Frost and Hoiberg are known for offense when they arrive in Lincoln, and yet both programs offense both programs offense and they haven't quite lived up to the expectations yet. Frost most more so than Hoiberg, but there, there's no doubt I think. Hoiberg expected more from his offensive output through, you know, a season and a half. But it's just, it's interesting for both guys to show up with as much credibility as anyone in the coaching profession for offensive acumen. And both programs have not gotten the offenses rolling really at all. So I think that was the first thing. And then within that, I think both coaches haven't gotten 
critical pieces for their systems. For Scott Frost, you know, elite quarterback, consistent play. Hasn't really been there, right? Martinez has had flashes, but for the most part, could you label Nebraska's quarterback play through its three seasons under Scott Frost as elite or great? No. That's number one. And then the other one is elite weapons at the skill spots, most notably running back and wide receiver. That hasn't really been there either. And then for Hoiberg, you know, the critical pieces, you need elite point guard play, you know, someone running the show, that hasn't really been there. And with how their system is built, you need three-point shooters who are shooting at a good clip. That really hasn't been there. For both offenses to really pop, you need the right trigger man at the, you know, at the helm. Point guard and quarterback. Quarterback and point guard. And both haven't either found one or haven't gotten them to perform consistently. And you better have the necessary weapons or personnel to do what you want to do offensively depending on how you're built. You want to play fast and take a bunch of threes? Well, you better have great three-point shooters. Nebraska hasn't really had those guys yet. I mean, you had some guys that you thought to be capable and they've been a little bit inconsistent or just flat out haven't shot it well. You know, For, for football, you want to be a dynamic, light-up-the-scoreboard football team? Well, you better have some home run hitter electric playmakers at running back and wide receiver. Nebraska hasn't landed those guys either. Oftentimes, a system is only as good as who's running it. Like, I don't think Fred Hoiberg and Scott Frost have all of a sudden regressed as offensive minds or anything like that. I just think the critical elements for this offense, for both offenses, really haven't been there. You need great three-point shooters. You need great point guard play. Yeah, I'd say both those have been not not up to par for, for Coach Hoiberg. For Frost, you need dynamic, electric, home run hitters at, at your skill position spots. Yeah, not really happening so far. You need a great, Consistent elite quarterback. Yeah, hasn't really happened so far. So interesting parallel there between Frost and Hoiberg. Sticking with the personnel thing. It's interesting when you look at at Scott Frost and Fred Hoiberg. Both coaches have dipped into the junior college market for instant production to kind of kick things off in their time at Nebraska. And both have somewhat come up empty in that regard. Frost went the JUCO route and needed guys like Greg Bell and Jerron Woodyard and Omar Manning to come in and produce right away. Didn't happen. Fred Hoiberg needed guys like Cam Mack and Gervais Green and Lat Mayen and Teddy Allen to come in and produce right away. And so far, it's been a mixed bag of results. I mean, Cam Mack and, and Gervais Green are gone, and those guys were just okay. And, you know, Lapman has, has been in a shooting slump for most of the season, but he shot it better lately. But overall, he's not shot it at a consistent level. And then Teddy Allen has, has you know, he scored, he scored the basketball. But, I mean, I think, there, you know, Teddy Allen comes with some baggage and there's some shortcomings. And, and you know, I think sometimes Fred Hoiberg has to sacrifice what the offense is, 
he wants it to look like from a ball movement standpoint to kind of accommodate Teddy Allen and, and the way he scores. So it's interesting, both guys have, have dipped into the junior college market and gone the JUCO route and either come up empty or come up with a mixed bag of results. Let's take a quick break to talk to you about my longtime pals and loyal supporters of the podcast, Pella Windows and Doors. You know, Pella has a window type for every home and every budget. And you might know Pella for its award-winning wood windows, but did you know that Pella also has a complete line of industry-leading patented fiberglass and vinyl windows? Pella's fiberglass windows use a patented Duracast material, more durable than aluminum or vinyl made from a composite material used in the aerospace industry for its strength, durability, and temperature resistance. It's big time right there. And Pella's vinyl window series offer all the features that make it one of the most energy-efficient windows on the market with the same value and style you've come to expect from all Pella products with outstanding structural integrity. Built from multi-chambered, fully welded frames and sashes, Pella's vinyl windows assure a quieter, more comfortable home. Bottom line, Pella's vinyl and fiberglass windows are really, really cool. Check them out online, PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. And while we're here, let's talk about my good friends at Runza. Got another super secret menu item not a lot of people know about. My friends at Runza are hooking me up, and I'm going to let you in on it. This one's just, uh, you know, this one's near and dear to my heart because it's a twist on the best fries on earth. Runza's Crinkle Fries. It's Runza's Chili Cheese Fries. That's some legendary Runza Crinkle Fries topped with their homemade chili and cheddar cheese sauce. Let me say that again in case some of you passed out just thinking about it. Legendary Runza Crinkle Fries. Homemade chili, cheddar cheese sauce. Oh, my goodness. It's a side that eats like a meal. So there you go. Another super secret menu item exclusively for Nick Bob Podcast listeners. So stop in, order the chili cheese fries at Runza, and while you're there, tell them Nick Bob sent you. Okay, back to the podcast. The the other thing sticking along the lines of of kind of the roster is you know both Scott Frost and Fred Hoiberg have dealt with a lot of roster turnover since they've arrived in Lincoln. I mean, Scott Frost has struggled keeping players here. There have been a long list of recruits who either never made it to Lincoln or left after one year. Fred Hoiberg has basically had two completely different rosters in two years. I mean, I'm hard-pressed to think of any program that's had more roster turnover than, than Nebraska basketball has had in the past two seasons. So there's another similarity. And then lastly... I think it's kind of odd that you've and interesting that you've heard and seen similar things from both coaches in terms of their teams both having confidence issues in finding a way to win and needing a win to kind of get them rolling. It's just interesting how both teams have struggled to find ways to win and both teams because of that have kind of had a crisis of confidence in some ways within their program either in the moment or just kind of day to day. Listen, winning cures a lot. It does. Makes everybody feel better. Gets everybody feeling confident about things, confident in your process and what you're doing Monday through Friday or at practice with all that stuff. And it's it's been tough for both guys to find wins. And when you're not winning, everything everything gets gets more exponentially more challenging. So I just thought that was interesting when you think about 
about the guys. Like, I still believe in both coaches, and I think they're going to get it going in Lincoln. But the similarities when they were hired were there between Frost and Hoiberg. And interestingly enough, the similarities of how their time at Nebraska has played out is there too. Okay, next topic. I don't know what I was, uh, when I wrote all this out, I don't know what, if I was like high or if like I was in like a, a very optimistic, you know, glass half full mood. <laughs> I mean, it's, but, but here we go. Like I, I was thinking about this. Get ready to roll your eyes for about the next five minutes. But just hang with me here, people. So Scott Frost has, has lost 20 total games in three seasons at Nebraska. 12 of the 20 losses are by one score or less. 12 of the 20 losses. He's not, Scott Frost, he's, he's not getting blown out. Like, the vast majority of one-score games can kind of go either way, too, right? The vast majority of, of, of one-score games sometimes feel like they're a coin flip and go either way. So, you know, I say all that to say, think about it. It feels like special teams couldn't be worse. Penalties and discipline with the team, hard to be a a lot worse than they've been. Offensive output the past two years, about as not up to par as we could have imagined. The schedule, pretty tough, right? Like, I'm hard-pressed to find another Big Ten West team that's had a harder schedule through three years than Nebraska's had. So you you look at all that, quarterback play, pretty dang inconsistent. Like, so you look at all that and and absorb that. And yet, Nebraska's kind of right there in a lot of these games. Again, 12 of the 20 losses are by one score or less. Nebraska isn't getting the, just their doors blown off, right? I mean, I'd say in three years at Nebraska, Frost has gotten blown out. Gosh, what would you say? I mean, Ohio State in, in year two and, and last year, this last year at Ohio State stud season, Michigan in year one, uh, Minnesota in year two. In terms of just like from the moment the ball got kicked off, they got their asses kicked. I mean, that's only a couple. I mean, there's been a couple teams that I would say beat them soundly. Illinois last year, maybe Purdue in 2018. But but I'm saying for as awful as Nebraska has felt at times, and for as bad as Nebraska has been in certain areas, special teams, discipline with penalties, offensive regression, schedule really tough. Nebraska feels like they're a long ways away. And the final records would indicate that. But if you think about it, the scoreboards each Saturday don't really feel that way or look that way. Right? Which I guess on some sick, twisted, ridiculous, glass half full view is is kind of encouraging. I know I'm really stretching it here, guys. But think about it. Quarterback play last two years, yeah. Offense last two years, ugh. Special teams, oh my God. Penalties, yikes. Schedule, tough. Still, 
right there more often than not. One-score games. I mean, right there. I mean, flip it and look at it the other way. How many games over the last three years would you say, boy, Nebraska played really good this weekend? Like you were texting your buddy like, oh, man, tell you what, those boys were juiced up, locked in. They played their ass off. This, they played good. Not very many. Maybe like five or six games total. And again, they still have been right there more often than not. I, I I get it. Like I'd imagine a lot of you you're either, you're either puking listening to this right now or you're rolling your eyes listening to this right now. But I hope you at least get the spirit of what I'm 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 getting at and trying to say. Nebraska has been about as poor as you can be in a lot of different aspects of the game. Yet they're kind of right there more often than not. Like, that's kind of, I don't know, I don't know how to, that's something. And listen, I get it, and I'm with you. We all want to see a team start to play well. But wouldn't it feel really unsettling or and really odd if we could sit here and say, you know what, so far, quarterback play has been awesome. Man, this offense, it's clicking. It's producing. Special teams, tell you what, been pretty good pretty clean football not a lot of penalties wouldn't it feel unsettling to say all that and yet still be losing it'd be hard to make sense of that now don't get me wrong I'd rather play well and lose than play poorly and lose but if but if your good clean football is still losing that's almost harder to rationalize or digest or make sense of Right now, it feels like Nebraska's poor football is losing, but they're losing close games. Like it, it feel, like when I, when I look at Nebraska and I look at their elements of their team, it kind of feels like they should be getting their shit kicked in. Does it not? Like you tell me, special teams, penalties, discipline, oh, like offensive output. Like it kind of feels like they should be getting their asses kicked every Saturday. And they're kind of not. So it's weird. Again, my eyes tell me Nebraska's a long ways away overall. But the scoreboard each weekend kind of tells a different story. How about that for a stretch? (laughs) Hope you guys... uh, I'm trying to elicit some good positive optimistic vibes on the pod about Nebraska football, man. You got to give that to me, right? Now again, hear what I'm saying. Like I dubbed the phrase back uh, when I was when I was still doing radio, year one under Scott Frost. I dubbed the phrase "progress through the process" when I was on the radio. I said that almost every day. Just want to see progress through the process. That's all I wanted early on in his tenure, and that hasn't happened. Well, hold on. I, I think that's happened on defense, but the other phases, special teams, offense, discipline, it hasn't happened. So I still believe that to be true in terms of what I want to see. So I'm obviously disappointed in that regard based on what we've seen. I'm just saying from a broad standpoint, on some, it's on some level moderately encouraging that Nebraska hasn't played well 
feels like they're a long ways away. But the scoreboard kind of tells a different tale. Not getting blown out. The majority of the losses are by one score or less, which I can only you can only connect the dots of like they're right there. I mean, think about this year. Lost at Iowa. They were right there. I don't even think Nebraska's very good. They're right there. At Northwestern. You see how, I mean, Northwestern had a great season. I walked away being like Nebraska's just as good as that team. And I don't even think Nebraska's very good. So on some level, I guess you can find some level of optimism within making sense of all that. Okay, clean up the puke or get your eyes back centered from rolling over and over listening to that take. But I, I, it's, it's something. I don't know. You guys can treat me and say, what are you talking about? It's something. It's weird. I mean, it's, 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 it's something. All right, last topic. Sticking with Nebraska football. One thing that that was uh, that was frustrating initially when Scott Frost got to Nebraska, at least for me, was, man, it sure felt like the fans had made up their minds on Eric Chenander. That that Eric Chenander, he wasn't good enough from the moment he got here, and no matter what happened, in particular the first two years, the fans were slow to praise Chenander and quick to blame Eric Chenander. My theory initially was, you know, Scott Frost is the golden boy savior of the program. And none of the fans ever wanted to criticize him. So when the offense struggled or the team struggled, they didn't want to go there with Frost in the offense. So they just ripped Chenander instead. And Chenander kind of became the whipping boy to the fans because none of the fans initially wanted to even remotely criticize Frost or anything that Frost was intimately involved in, a.k.a. the offense. And I was worried about this situation. I was worried that no matter what, the fans had made up their minds on Eric Chenander and that he was never going to be good enough, which would potentially send Nebraska back into that same old cycle of of coaching change, coaching change, fire, 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 fire which has been arguably the biggest issue at Nebraska and in particular on the defense of a uh, defensive side of the ball. You've had zero continuity on the defensive side of the ball. I've, I've talked about this before, but again, think about it. Basically, from, from 2014 to 2018, Nebraska had four different defensive coordinators. John Papuchas, Mark Banker, Bob Diaco, and then Eric Chenander. You went from the 4-3 the to the 3-4 back to the... I mean, you've run all these different systems. And there's, there's just been... Not to mention the constant changes of position coaches as well. So there's just been zero continuity and stability on defense. And I think it's hurt the progress on that side of the ball. And I was worried that because the fans had already made up their minds on Eric Chenander, we were headed towards the same cycle of fire, 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 change, 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 creating zero continuity, zero stability. But that discussion feels like, at least for now, completely different. The defense took a pretty sizable step forward this season and showed so much relative progress that, you know what I haven't heard in a while? Any scathing Eric Chenander criticism. 
And I think that's great. Not only because of the obvious reason of the play on the field is better, but because I think it lends itself to finally potentially achieving some stability and continuity on that side of the football. This season was a pretty big step forward for the defense. And then when you add that with the subsequent um, announcements of all the defensive players returning for next season, I think this is enormous for Nebraska on a variety of levels. Because what you are finally seeing is continuity and stability on that side of the football. Staff has stayed intact. System has stayed intact. For the most part, position coaches have stayed intact. And now players are staying and sticking together for a long stretch. And I don't think it's too crazy to connect the dots of you've, you finally have achieved some semblance of stability and continuity, and it's yielded pretty good defensive results this past season. And with 17 of, of Nebraska's top 21 defensive players in terms of total snaps played this season returning for next season, I think this is huge. Stability and continuity have been non-existent on defense for large portions of the last decade. And the results have been pretty poor. Now, stability and continuity are, are kind of reigning supreme on that side of the ball. And what do, you, what do you know? The arrow is now trending up. And at least for now, the group of fans that had their minds made up on Eric Chenander have quieted down. And that is a great thing, in my opinion. All right, my thanks to Pella. If you're thinking about a new window or a new door, now is the time. Check them out online, on the web at PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. And uh, my thanks to my good friends at Runza. Best fries on the planet, great burgers, cheese Runza, delicious. The food is simply fantastic. Runza makes it all better. A Huda Media Production.